All right, I'm very excited to have my good friend Don Prulo. Dr. Don Prulo is the he holds the Warren Chair of Catholic Studies at the University of Tulsa, and he also is the Department Chair of Philosophy and Religion at the same institution. Don, wonderful scholar, brilliant academic, wonderful teacher. He's a, a scholar in the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas, but also a great historian of the Catholic intellectual and philosophical traditions. I'm very happy that he'll be here discussing our topic, which is understanding God, his oneness, his trinity, how the philosopher and the theologian both approach this wonderful mystery of God, and kind of to maybe frame and to begin our conversation, I wonder perhaps if you could speak to the modern problem, namely, how is it, or what is the main inhibitors or hurdles that the modern person has to overcome in order to engage the immaterial world? It's a great question, Richard. Thank you for having me here. It puts me in mind of a great Christian writer, C.S. Lewis, who said that in heaven, there would be music and silence. Hell is just noise. And that's what I see with so many of my students, that their lives, they're just afflicted with noise coming from every direction, coming from the computer, coming from the television, coming from their, from their friends and, and colleagues and their cohorts. And what we have to do is try to carve out a space for silence, for contemplation of these, of these really, really important things, and to point them beyond the sound bites, beyond the 140-character opinion bombs, to help them to consider things more leisurely from a perspective that doesn't prioritize where they stand right here and right now but to help them look beyond. Father, Father James Shaw says that our own time is probably so disordered, it cannot point us to what is true and to what is real. And therefore we need to look outside of ourselves, outside of our time to old books, to Thomas, to Augustine, in order to help alert us to the reality, the way that things are, the way that things exist. And when we ground ourselves in the real, we open ourselves to the apprehension of those immaterial realities that you were speaking yeah, of. Yeah, what you just mentioned reminds, reminds me of a wonderful text by Joseph Pieper as well. And uh, apparently he was coming back from a visit to the New World and returning back to Germany. And he's lamenting the fact that, this is in the 20s or 30s perhaps, and he's, he's lamenting the fact that, th that there's so much noise. And his solution uh, to this problem I wonder, I wonder your, your, your thoughts on this, is that in order to combat this visual noise that we're experiencing, which distracts us, um, that we all must become artists. He doesn't say philosophers at first, but we all must become artists. I'm just wondering, like, what is the relationship then between an artist and a philosopher, or, or, is, there, or is there a relationship? Well, in a certain sense, we can't be, you know, capital A artists, but all of us are called to embrace the search for the true and the good and the beautiful and to find and embrace these things. And in so doing, when we see that in art, when we see it in literature, it can open up what T.S. Eliot called the moral imagination so that we can lay the groundwork, lay the foundation for building up into the this, this skyscraper of philosophy and theology. All right, once we've correctly ordered our lives morally, mm -hmm. once we've opened ourselves to the possibilities of beauty, and once we actively desire the truth, these are gonna be the doors through which we can walk into the immaterial world. Yeah, I mean, and ultimately, 
what I think we're suggesting is that us, for us moderns, what we are lacking because we live in this workaday world is this the most important quality, which is leisure. Right? Both the philosopher, it would seem, and the and the poet or the artisan needs to actually pause and look upon the created world with a leisurely gaze. And we just we're, we're bombarded with busyness and activity, and we don't stop to breathe, to look, to engage. That's reality. Ab- absolutely right. Uh, in Latin, leisure is otium, and the opposite is negotium. It's business, busyness. And we are very good at occupying ourselves with amusements, but that's not the kind of leisure that Joseph Pieper is talking about. We need the, the leisure to step back in order to look at the real, in order to look at our own selves and our own lives and our place in the world, in order to, to have that moment, to have that, to give ourselves breathing space in order to understand these deeper realities. And my students are, are, are constantly, they're focused on doing doing, doing, doing. They have to check boxes. I've got to do all of these tasks today. I've got to do all of these chores or errands today. Uh, And then after that, I can be leisured. And leisured usually means collapsing on a couch, watching a movie, playing a video game or something like that. And that's not the the real, the deep leisure that's needed, the recreational Mm -hmm. leisure that enables us to to truly truly find what we what our deep heart's deepest longing is good so let's let, let's just say that we our culture that once again um supports and encourages a, a leisurely pursuit um in order to engage reality and from that it, it would seem that we can then begin to contemplate these higher truths these immaterial realities god as he is in his unity god as he is in his trinity um using the the various modes of, of learning that are found in each of these disciplines of philosophy and theology. I wonder if you can maybe unpack that for us is what is that relationship between philosophy and theology? One of the deepest wellsprings of our own Catholic faith is this interrelationship between faith and reason. We as Catholics from the very beginning have, emb- have embraced the world of rationality and philosophy and used it to undergird and support the revelation that God has given us at the same time. And so we need to use them both together. It's like breathing with, with, with two lungs almost. Uh, with philosophy, it's a support of theology. And because we know, first of all, that faith and reason, philosophy and theology, they have the same origin, God. And they have the same end or destination, which is truth. So at the end of the day, the God who gives us the Bible— who gives us revelation, is the same God who gives us rationality and the world. And so we know that they're never going to truly contradict. It'll be a failure in our way of understanding somehow. But as Catholics, we're never afraid of reason. We're never afraid of science. We're never afraid of philosophy because we know it's all meant to go together. Mm -hmm. Truth is one like God is one. And therefore, we can pursue it in all fields of human uh, learning. But then you also see... Uh, there's kind of these twin defects that have arisen in, in modern culture as well. You know, this idea of rationalism and fideism, right? The, the twin defects of the intellect. I wonder if you maybe speak on these two, um, how are they uh, uh, prevent us from doing philosophy and theology well? They do. And this is a modern problem, this divorce between faith and reason, uh, this idea that reflecting on who we are, Rationality is our highest 
quality. And so some people have gone too far in that direction, too much reason, because we have reason we don't need faith, we don't need revelation, we don't need theology. And conversely, the fideists, fundamentalists, they say, well, we've got the revelation of God, we can basically just switch off our human rationality, we don't need the, that sort of thing. And as Chesterton says, uh, every heresy is a truth taken too far. It just goes too far. Each side has it right in a certain sense. We need faith, we need reason, but we need them both together because that makes up the wholeness of who we are and the way that God created us to be, to know and love the truth, but some of the truth we're made for an end which exceeds our grasp. Mm -hmm. And so he reveals things to us that will enable us to know the Trinity. We may be able to know the unity of God by our reason, but it enables us through total gratuitousness to know his triune nature. And at the same time, we can reflect on that once he reveals those things using our human rationality. They feed one another. They reinforce one another. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, what I've noticed is that whether you fall into the era of fideism or rationalism, both of these make life exceedingly boring, right? <laughs> kind of lower the bar. And as rationalists, all there is is this kind of flat world in which we move and have our being. And the same too with Ephedius, right? All there is is this kind of dead doctrine mm -hmm. um, that kind of falls from the mouth of God and that we have to appropriate. Um, I wonder, you know, how do, we, how do we encourage others to avoid these kind of extremes and to live in a world which these two go together and how, how that really encourages a life that is fulfilling. Absolutely. Like, in other words, Don, what's the practical for, you know, the lay person out there, what is the practical good of understanding this fundamental relationship between faith and reason? I mean, the practical good is becoming who you were meant to be, becoming whom God designed you to be by embracing the revelation that he gives and by undergirding it with the rationality that you have as, as, a, as a person which is our glory, the dignity of humans comes from our reasonableness and our freedom. And that is made supernaturally good, the subject of salvation by the infusion of grace into that very nature. Mm. And when Catholics, we know that, that grace doesn't destroy nature, it fulfills who we were meant to be, it perfects who we were meant to be in the image and likeness of God. How much more fulfilling could that be? It, it draws us into the mystery of life, the mystery of God, the mystery of the universe, and the mystery of our very selves. While those other two approaches are flattening mm. and uninteresting, they don't enable us to live the kind of life that uh, is possible for humanity. Good. Now, I'm just kind of moving more to the theological perspective. You know, we, I try to, to introduce the audience to this wonderful mystery of the Blessed Trinity. Obviously, you know, this is a lifetime kind of pursuit, unpacking this doctrine. We did it in five minutes or so. Um, in general, though, understanding God as a trinity, what's, why is that important? How, what, is the, what, is the, what does that mean for the, the individual who is trying to cultivate a spiritual life? It shows us that we are created for community, that we're created for one another, towards one another. Uh, that Augustine says in Confessions that, you know, our hearts are restless. We are made towards God or for God. We're made for a relationship, and God reveals himself in his inmost life to be relation, relational. 
And so we can never be just pure individuals, uh, nor can we ever forget our individuality in just pure communitarianism. There has to be a balance, just like faith and reason. We are individuals necessarily embedded in a community. And both of those truths have to be held for the flourishing human life. And so that's just one of the many aspects of, of the Trinity that's, that's going to be critical for us, that we know that from all eternity, God was in a relationship of knowledge and love. God himself is subsistent wisdom and subsistent love. And, uh, and it's reflected in our own lives. It's reflected in our communities, particularly in our families, love for a husband and a wife that's fruitful in producing children. And so many of the medieval theologians delighted in finding traces of the Trinity throughout all of creation, little, little signposts that God had put throughout the created world that pointed to his very nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there is that notion of the family as that, as that signpost, um, kind of pointing to the triune nature of God. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about the signpost that is found in the very nature of human person. So we're, 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 we're Trinitarian so far as we're, we're relational, but we're also Trinitarian insofar as that we have certain faculties that perhaps are analogous to the triune head of, of God. Absolutely. This is one of Augustine's favorite demonstrations of the Trinity was sort of the, when we think of ourselves and, and how we think, uh, we're minds. We have minds like God. God is, is a mind. And the ancient Greeks thought this as well. But Augustine completes it with knowledge of the Christian revelation. He said, we have a mind. What does a mind do? A mind thinks thoughts. So analogously, if you're the perfect mind, what kind of a thought are you going to think? You're going to think the perfect thought. The self, the complete utterance, the complete summation of that, of that mind. And so then you have these two perfect things reflecting back on one another for the second act of the human soul. So knowing is then followed by an act of the will. We have an intellect and a will within us. A rational intellect and a free will, the highest act of the will the most sublime act of the will is to love. And so in the Trinity, you have these two perfect, the pure perfect thinker and perfect thought reflecting on one another with the perfect love. And so notice all of that takes place within one single mind. And so just as in us, we have this reflection of rationality. We, we're thinkers who have thoughts and we have a will that can love. So even imprinted on the very impress of the human person is this image of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Trinity then can, you know, it can know and love things, but it can be a more perfect reflection of the triune nature of God insofar as that we, by God's grace, can know and love him. So just as God know, knows and loves himself in this perfect eternal uh, embrace, so too can we, by God's grace, begin to understand him and love him as he is in and of himself and begin to more perfectly mirror that triune um, relationship, which is, which is, which is God. Um, well, Don, I can't thank you enough for, for being here, joining us, uh, gracing us with your, your wisdom and your insight. Um, so again, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Great conversation. The Eastern Oklahoma Catholic podcast is brought to you by the office of communications at the diocese of Tulsa and Eastern Oklahoma.